Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Addicted to Crime podcast. I'm your host, Shelby. Let's dive in. I hope you had a fantastic week and I hope you are ready for this episode. Today I'm going to be doing a breaking news episode. There's a ton of stuff going on right now in the true crime world and I hope you enjoy it. So first before I get going I wanted to update some of the cases that I've already covered. In episode 6 the double homicide at the UW Arboretum I told a story about a local to me case. It was about a double homicide at the University of Wisconsin Arboretum. Just to recap a bit, on March 30th, 2020, in Madison, Wisconsin, a jogger found the bodies of Dr. Beth Potter, a 52-year-old woman, and her husband, Robin Carr, a 57-year-old man, lying deceased in a ditch at the entrance of the Arboretum. It rocked the small city of Madison. Dr. Beth Potter was a very beloved doctor in the UW medical community, as well as a director of UW Health Employee Health Services. And her husband, Robin Carr, did some work with high school-age students preparing for college, and he also helped with a youth soccer club. So they were both very, very involved in this small community. Police right away said that this was a targeted shooting and that they didn't think the public was in any danger. They said it was a very isolated incident and it was very directed, excuse me, towards these two individuals. Police thought it was someone who targeted these two specific people. Police were made aware right away of Carrie Stanford through a tip that they had received, and they found out that Carrie was dating one of the couple's three children. Carrie Stanford and Elijah LaRue were then arrested, and on May 2021, Elijah LaRue pled guilty to two lesser counts of felony murder, and he's expected to testify against his former friend, Carrie Stanford. Now, Kari Sanford is being charged with two counts of first-degree intentional homicide. As police believe that Kari Sanford is the one who actually discharged the gun, killing the couple. Now, Kari Sanford recently wrote a letter to the presiding judge over his case. This is Dane County Circuit Judge Ellen Beres about his life and experiences growing up. Now, it's a really long letter, uh, and I'll, I'll include it in the show notes for those interested in reading it. According to NBC15, Kari Sanford's trial is slotted for October 2021. There's no details yet on that, if it's begun or if it had to get pushed down or not yet. When we had last talked about that case, uh, Kari Sanford and Elijah LaRue hadn't been officially charged yet. They were a person of interest and they were arrested, but they hadn't been charged. And uh, Elijah LaRue's deciding to testify against Kari Sanford hadn't happened either as well as the different trial proceedings that had started and Kari Sanford's note to the judge. So all that is new information. All that is updates for that episode. I told you guys I would keep you updated. And here's me fulfilling that promise, keeping true to my word. All right, let's go to the next one. The next update I did share already on my social media, but I wanted to share it directly on the podcast. 
one of John Wayne Gacy's previously unidentified victims has been identified, finally after over 40 years. Now, I shared a two-part episode on John Wayne Gacy in episode 14 and episode 16, so if you haven't listened to it already, go ahead and listen to it. It's truly, truly horrifying. This man was a terrible human being. But a man named Travis Wayne Alexander has been identified as victim number five. He was 21 years old at the time of his murder, and his body was found in Gacy's crawl space under Gacy's home December 1978. Travis Wayne Alexander was identified by DNA extracted from his molars, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. Now, his family initially thought when he disappeared that he just went into and communication with them, so they didn't file a missing persons report, sadly. But now, with the family finally receiving this closure, they said, quote, It is hard, even 45 years later, to know the fate of our beloved Wayne. He was killed at the hands of a vile and evil man. Our hearts are heavy and our sympathies go out to the other victims' families. Our only comfort is knowing this killer no longer breathes the same air that we do. End quote. The next update I have for you is in regards to the case of the missing woman, Maya Miglietti, on episode 17. I wish, I really, really wish that this was a happy update. I wish I could be updating you all, telling you that she was found, um, but unfortunately, that's not what this update is. This was a very hard episode for me to cover as a mom, and reading about her young children left behind, it just really hurt my heart. And seeing how loved she was by all those who knew her, it was just a very, very tough case for me to swallow personally. Now, one of the most recent updates is a statement from an unnamed friend of Maya from Maya herself before she went missing. She stated that Maya had told her Larry had once choked her until she passed out. Now, Larry was paranoid at the fact that he thought Maya was cheating on him with another man. According to Fox News, family and friend described Larry's behavior as, quote, controlling and stalker-like, and he became obsessed with Maya's activities and communications with other people, end quote, and that was in the late 2020s and late 2021. Larry started showing up to Maya's workplace unannounced before she went missing to see if she was meeting up with another man, and he even sent her a bunch of incriminating um, text, allegedly. Now, Maya had disappeared from her home on January 7th, 2021. She'd been making plans with her divorce attorney to meet the following week, and there was a ton of trouble going on at home between her and Larry. The day she went missing, Larry left his home with his young four-year-old son for over 11 hours. A quote from a detective from the Chula Vista Police Department named Jesse Vicente said to CBS 8, Quote, there is no evidence to suggest that Maya left and disappeared of her own accord or that she even had the financial means to do so. Rather, the investigation has revealed that Larry had an overwhelming motive to prevent his wife from divorcing him. End quote. I'm sorry, I'm having a really hard time reading all of a sudden. There were numerous sources that said that Larry had been talking about hiring a hitman to take care of Maya and even talked about it as recent as January, the month she disappeared. Also, in September 2020, Larry allegedly created a shrine for his wife in marriage, and this shrine had a picture of him and her. There were candles burning and red wax or, like, blood on the picture. I'll include a picture of it on our social media. Um, it is pretty disturbing looking. Um, and, and it seems like Larry, honestly, is unstable, and 
It's even said in articles that I read that he tried to put a spell on Maya so that she would obey him and incapacitate her. Um, again, that's not proven yet. It's just an allegation. But if that's true, how upsetting is that? He's also been found to have some very, very disturbing Google searches in regards to how to get rid of his wife and how to um, slip drugs into her system. So it's all very, very upsetting information. Now, Larry was arrested at his home and charged with first-degree murder of his wife, Maya Moliette, and he was also charged with illegal possession of an assault weapon. Larry was denied bail, and he appeared in court on October 21st, 2021, where he pled not guilty to his wife's murder. Now, while he was in jail, he used his phone to contact his children, which was directly in violation to the judge's order, so his phone privileges were revoked. Now, the couple's three young children are reportedly staying with Larry's parents at this time. I'm expecting that we're going to be hearing a whole lot more disturbing details come out as this trial proceeds in the weeks to come. But for now, you know, we just have to keep hoping that they can find her body uh, to give her family some kind of closure and some kind of answer as to what happened. I'm obviously going to continue to keep following this case as I'm completely invested and I just really hope that we can find a way to bring Maya home. That's pretty much the updates for the case I've already covered. I thought about sharing another Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell update, but honestly not much has happened since the last time I updated you guys, so I'm just going to wait a little bit more before updating again. Lori's still undergoing treatment before she can stay in trial, so honestly maybe we're going to wait until her trial it begins, if it ever does. Um, but let's move on to the next one. One breaking news update that's been catching social media's attention is about a four-year-old girl named Cleo Smith. An Australian girl who went missing for 18 days has finally been reunited with her family. At first, it was thought that she had wandered away and wandered away from the family while they were on a camping trip on October 16th. But then the family realized a much scarier thing. They realized that she had been abducted. A car was seen speeding from the site on a surveillance video where she went missing. Cleo was found in the locked home of 36-year-old Terrence Daryl Kelly's home. We aren't sure yet why the police went to this man's home, what caused them to zero in on this man, and, you know, what led them to him, but he is in custody at this time. Now, um, Terrence's home where he was found was 62 miles away from the Blowholes Shacks campsite where the family had been camping together. When police took Cleo to the hospital, physically, she was fine. Terrence will remain in police custody until his court appearance is set for December 6th of 2021. Now, he did have to go to the hospital due to self-inflicted injuries, and he's being held for a number of charges that are going to be kept quiet for now, I'm pretty sure, because, you know, Cleo's a minor. The family, of course, is just overjoyed to be back with their daughter. Finally, a happy ending on one of these things after a scary, very scary, terrifying 18-day abduction. And this is very rare. Like, you don't always get such a happy ending like this case. It's just so... Uh, just kind of just a breath of fresh air honestly to just think of this little girl finally reunited back home with her family I cannot even place myself in the headspace of what it must have been like to be missing her for those 18 days I just can't even let my brain go there it's just too crazy to think just too traumatizing to think the next update I have is of another young girl a five-year-old girl named Summer Moon Utah Wells 
has been missing in Tennessee. She was last seen on June 15th in Rogersville, Tennessee, which is about 65 miles from Knoxville. According to her mother, she came inside June 15th at 6.30 p.m. that night after doing some gardening earlier with her grandmother. Now, her mother says that Summer went down to the basement to play with her brothers, but only a few minutes later, when her mom went to go check on her, she didn't find Summer anywhere. Now, the mother said she was only gone from Summer's side for about two minutes before she all of a sudden disappeared, and that's according to her mom. Summer was reported missing by her father that evening. Police issued a statewide Amber Alert the next day on June 16th, and Summer's parents, Donald Wells and Candace Bly, think that Summer was abducted. Three of their other children, the three boys, have been removed from Donald and Candace's care by the Tennessee Department of Child Protective Services. Now, there's been pictures circling social media. Honestly, if you type in any of these parents' names on Twitter, you're going to see just a mess of investigators, self-proclaimed investigators, uh, checking out their home and getting interviews with them and also finding pictures. And There's a photo that I saw of what is believed to be Summer's bed and sheets outside the family home, and it looks just disgusting. Um, and so once I know more concrete information, more uh, police-released information about the status of the home and why the boys were removed from the home, I'll be sure and share um, what I can about that. Honestly, I'm kind of thinking about doing just an entire episode about this case because the more I look into it just a little bit, the more kind of horrified I get and the more questions I have. Like, it, 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 I have so many questions. A lot of questions are popping up for everyone during these four months that she's been missing. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation or the TBI, they're also looking for a vehicle. Quote, a maroon Toyota pickup truck with a full bed ladder rack and white buckets in the truck bed, end quote. Now, according to a tip, police were made aware of this vehicle in the vicinity of Summer's home in Rogersville before she went missing, and police did come out and say that they're not looking for this vehicle for a suspect. Rather, they think that this person might have witnessed something, so they are just hoping that the owner or someone who knows the owner of this vehicle comes forward and shares what they might have seen because it might be very important to finding her. Now, Summer's father, Donald, was recently in the news when he was arrested for a DWI and also arrested for violating his probation. And there's just unfortunately so many more things just kind of seeping out of this case as people look closer and closer. But it is asked, with anyone with information about this vehicle, this maroon Toyota pickup truck with a full bed ladder rack and white buckets in the truck bed, or any information about five-year-old Summer, please call 1-800-TBI-FIND or contact the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office at 423-272-7121. That is 1-800-TBI-FIND or the Hawkins County Sheriff's Office 423-272-7121. There is a reward for information leading to her disappearance and anything that can help them locate her. And I'm just really hoping we have another good outcome with this case. I'm hoping she can be found soon and be found safe. But as I'm sure you all know, the first 24 hours are absolutely crucial and it's been four months. All we can do is hope though. Now there's this uh, Twitter page that I follow called Nerdy Addict 
It's a trusted source that I've been following in regards to Summer's case. They're on the property. They're talking to the parents. They do their own interviews. They take their own pictures. So go follow Nerdy Addict for updates on this case. And of course, when she's found or when arrests are made or anything, I'm sure he'll be posting it on his Twitter to give you guys some updates. And I'll be sure to update the podcast as well with more information about her. And let's just bring Summer home, you guys. She needs to be home. The next case that I want to talk about, this happened very recently on November 5th this year, 2021, at a concert. This is still obviously a very new news story. I'm recording this on the 7th, and so there's still a lot of information that the police have to uncover yet. Still a very active investigation by the Houston police. So I just wanted to briefly touch upon it because it's so new, but it is very huge. Rapper, Ta- rapper Travis Scott was performing at the World Festival at the NRG Park in Houston, Texas on Friday evening among a crowd of 50,000 people. Now, when he got on stage, the crowd surged forward. According to an article by KHOU, a crowd surge is, quote, when individuals in a large group make a sudden or rapid movement within a confined space, sometimes resulting in people being shoved or even trampled, end quote. While the crowd surged forward as soon as he got on stage, there was mass confusion and, quote, the crowd began to compress towards the front of the stage, and that caused some panic and it started causing some injuries, end quote. Quote, people began to fall out, become unconscious, and it created additional panic, end quote. And that is a quote by the Houston Fire Chief, Sam Pena, and he said that quote of that night. Now, one concert goer named T.K. Tellez said to CNN, quote, the crowd became tighter and tighter, and at that point, it was hard to breathe. When Travis came out performing his first song, I witnessed people passing out next to me, end quote. And now another concert goer, Selena Beltran, said, quote, we were all screaming for help and no one helped or hurt us. It was horrifying. People were screaming for their lives and they couldn't get out. Nobody could move a muscle. I fell backwards and it felt like it was the end for me. To think that's how I'll die, I was so scared. I did not know what to do. It was all happening so fast but so slow and I couldn't react. I just screamed. I was shocked to see people act so inconsiderate and feral. It was insane to see just so many run others over like wild animals. People did not care and they still tried to squeeze through just to get to the front without thinking of the consequences and who it would affect. I was beginning to go into shock although I was trying to keep my composure and not panic. It was terrifying and it felt like a nightmare. I looked around and just saw people stare and others continue to enjoy themselves as if these people lying there meant nothing. It felt like there was little humanity in the crowd, end quote. Eight people died that day as a result of the crowd surge, ranging in ages from 14 to 27 years old. Dozens were injured and transferred to the hospital and they're still ongoing medical care. It's unclear yet how this started or what provoked this crowd surge, and crowd surges aren't uncommon, but one of this magnitude is more rare. Now, officials are also investigating a claim that someone was stabbing concert goers with drugs in the crowd. Yeah, you heard me right. Like, literally, someone is stabbing needles into people, according to one person's comment. So far, they think this was just one incident. They really don't 
see it connected to the crowd surge, let's say. But again, this investigation is so new, who knows what they're going to turn up about this. Either way, I'm sure more details are going to emerge as, you know, they get more witness statements and they can access some video footage. The Houston Office of Emergency Management has posted phone numbers for those who haven't heard from a loved one who was at the festival. Please call 311 or 713-837-0311. Again, the Houston Office of Emergency Management has posted phone numbers for those who haven't heard from a loved one who was at that festival in Houston, Texas on November 5th, 2021. Please call 311 or 713-837-0311. The rapper Travis Scott as well as Drake have been sued over this incident and Texas attorney Thomas J. Henry was the one who filed the suit against them and the suit also names Live Nation and NRG Stadium, according to an article by Fox News. According to this article and according to a report from the Daily Mail, quote, the suit is being filed on behalf of concert attendee Christian Pardius, 23 years old, from Austin, Texas. She reportedly filed the complaint seeking more than $1 million in damages after both rappers allegedly incited the crowd and left injured, end quote. So we'll see how this turns out and see if this suit holds through in court. Either way, um, RIP to all those who were injured. It's just such a horrific time. And to those people losing family members, I'm so sorry for your loss. And those looking for family members, if you haven't heard from them yet, I will be posting these numbers on our show notes. So please call the numbers if your loved one was in Houston, Texas on November 5th and had planned on going to this concert. The trial for Kyle Rittenhouse is currently underway in Wisconsin, and if you don't know anything about that case, back in August 2020, there was a Kenosha-based paramilitary group that issued online calls for help for the public to come help protect local businesses from protesters. The reason protesters were there is they were protesting racial injustice after the police shot an unarmed black man and he was then paralyzed from the waist down. Kyle Rittenhouse, 17 years old at that time, and he traveled from Illinois to Wisconsin and he traveled with an AR-15 style rifle. And during that evening, it got violent and he shot three people, killing two of them. Now, he is currently on trial in Wisconsin and 20 jury members were just selected and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Honestly, I really don't know much more uh, because the trial is going on, you know, right now, but that is something I'm going to follow. That's going to be something I've been following since it happened last year, but that's something that the nation has their eyes on for sure. So that's really all I'm going to touch upon that right now. Uh, it, it will only be honestly a couple weeks until we hear, I think, uh, what happens. It's only expected to last this trial a couple weeks, so we should have an update um, on that soon. What's going to be decided is, is, if, is if the jury finds that he um, killed those two men, injured the third because he was practicing self-defense, or if he was acting kind of like a vigilante and didn't need to exert the force that he used. 
Either way, I think he's going to be in charge, get in trouble for taking the weapon from Illinois to Wisconsin because he was 17 and you're not allowed to move a weapon like that. Um, but we will see, you know, what they say about these very, very serious charges. I've had multiple people message and ask me to cover the Gabby Petito case, and I am going to cover it. That is the next upcoming episode. Originally, I was holding off until um, police found Brian Laundrie in that manhunt, but since he's been found deceased, I decided that it was time to cover her case. Again, like I said, that's the case I'm working on right now. I just want to get some more details ironed out. I reached out to some of her family members, so we'll see if I can get in contact with them. I just want to make sure that I cover this case respectfully, get all of the accurate details. It's super new. There's a lot in the air right now. So I want to only report on things that are true, things that have come out by um, the family, and things that have been spoken directly by the family, as Gabby's family is very active on social media. They're sharing their story. They're sharing their truth. And I want to share what they want me to share. So that's why I always, well, I always try anyway to reach out to family members. I can't always get in contact with them and that's fine, but I want to do my best to reach out to them if I can, if only just to let them know that I'm going to be covering their loved one's case. That's honestly the reason I do it. I also do it to see, you know, if they have something that they want covered, something they want shared, something maybe that they just feel is important to share about their loved one's case. That's really why I contact loved ones and why I like to give them some time to be able to answer me if they're able to. So that case is coming. That's hopefully going to be the next episode, the next upcoming episode. It's going to be a big case. I'm almost done with all of my research again for that. All I just need are, you know, just to give the parents some time to be able to get in contact with me if possible. So we'll see how that goes. And so stay tuned for that episode because it's coming, guys. It's coming. Thank you very much for sending the requests. I appreciate you guys wanting me to cover these things. I want to hear all of the requests that of cases that you want me to cover. You can send them at IamAddictedToCrime at gmail.com or you can tweet at me. I have a Twitter at uh, Addicted underscore Crime. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram and that's where I post uh, the social media pictures of things in the episodes that I talk about. Again, if you have something you want me to share or something you want me to cover, something you want me to talk about, please let me know. I would love to cover that information. That's all I have for an episode today. If you're a Patreon, you know that I was having some microphone issues on October's bonus episode, and I'm I'm still having microphone issues. I'm so... I love podcasting, but this part I hate. It's the worst part ever. It's so annoying, and I hate computer microphone stuff, and I just don't understand it. So I appreciate your patience. As I'm trying to figure this out, I really, really, really do. You guys are fantastic. I'm, I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> this is the part about podcasting that I hate. I love literally every single thing other than the technical part, the computer, the microphone, that part I could definitely do without. So I appreciate your patience. I will get it figured out. You guys deserve the best quality audio that I can give you. And I'm working towards it, guys. So thank you so much for your patience during this entire process. All of my source material, as always, can be found on the website www.addictedtocrime.org. Uh, you can find all of our source material for this episode and for other episodes that we've done in the past Thank you for listening. That's all I have this time. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new case. You guys stay safe. Bye-bye.